0: My name's Amy Foster. I'm part of the teaching team here. And I just always have to say, I love Women in the Words. I love being with you. I love studying Acts. I love a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I actually love watching new things being constructed and built, also. Um, I don't know if, how many of you are like that. But in my neighborhood right now, I just happen to be surrounded by building projects and most mornings early in the morning before I leave my house I hear these familiar sounds I hear the work trucks and the heavy machinery and I hear the saws and I hear the hammers and I don't even have to look out the window I know what those sounds are They're construction sounds because something is being built even in the dark sometimes something's being built when I study these chapters I love it I thought God is building something new it's not a physical building He's building his church, and we really saw the beginning of this last week when we studied Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and in a single day, 3,000 people come to put their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit, and God's church is born, and he knits them together, and he begins that building process, and it's a process that doesn't stop. We see in these next chapters, he's still building. We don't hear saws and hammers. There are different construction sounds that we hear, and they tell us building is going on. The sounds we hear in Acts 3 and 4, we hear the voice of witnesses, and we hear the name of Jesus, and those are God's building sounds, and they are really beautiful. So I want to talk a little bit about the name of Jesus. That's something that's really important in this first passage we're going to look at, and a name is important. Um, Suppose that our study were interrupted today. An official-looking person charges in and takes the microphone, and with great urgency they says, I have to make an announcement. You're missing this right now. It's on the TV. It's on the Internet. It's everywhere. We're, all under, we're in grave danger. You all need to go to the lowest you know, possible safe location. You need to turn your electronic devices off. You need to turn the lights out and close the windows Your security depends on it. And this message comes to you in the name of Barack Obama. The name. The name would start your mind thinking a little bit. You would think, all I know about the name Barack Obama, he's President of the United States. He's Commander in Chief of the Armed Forces. As you think about that name, you think about his power and his authority and his role. And the name will determine If you believe that message, the name will determine if you accept the message and obey it or if you reject it. If you don't believe me, imagine a different scenario, the same messenger, the same urgency, the same warning. But at the end of this, he says, this message comes to you in the name of Justin Bieber. (laughs) Okay, there's a name and that name is going to make you think of things associated with that person, his character, his role. His authority or lack thereof, and you will choose to trust or reject that message based on the power of that name. All the things that we attach to the name determines how we choose to respond to the message. So a name is important, and some names communicate power, don't they? Some names communicate power. A name doesn't just bring to mind a string of letters and the appropriate pronunciation. A name brings to mind... Everything attached to that name, the summary of who that person is and how they behave. And a name can be powerful. And the apostles know that a name is powerful. And that's why, in the earliest days of the history of the church, they began proclaiming the name of Jesus. They will proclaim the name of Jesus when they're healing, they will proclaim the name of Jesus when they're praying. We do it today when we open in prayer. We end in the name of Jesus. It starts here in Acts. And it starts because a name is powerful. This name is powerful. So begin reading with me. We're going to start in Acts 3. And we're going to read in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We see right away there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. This was the afternoon prayer time. It was about 3 o'clock. It was the custom to go to the temple area to pray. The Jews would gather there together. Um, It was also the custom if you were infirmed or handicapped and unable to provide for yourself, you would hang out um, in this area hoping that people would give you money. You were a beggar. Um, You were asking for alms because that's what you needed to live. This man had been lame from birth, and he regularly was at this gate to the temple. I'm sure they'd seen him many, many times before. I'm sure they knew his sad story, but something is different on this day. On this day, the Holy Spirit directs Peter and John to stop and to look at him and to focus on him. And as he asks for money, Peter answers, What I have, I give to you, and he gives him the name of Jesus. He says, In the name of Jesus Christ, Rise up and walk. And we see very quickly it's a real-life miracle. Um, He's healed instantaneously, and the man who's never walked is now walking. Signs like these are miracles. God uses these at unique times in the history of the church. And oftentimes God uses miracles and signs to validate the message. It's not so much about the miracle, it's about the message. If you think back when Jesus walked on the earth and had his ministry, Jesus was healing all the time. Jesus was performing miracles and signs. It was never about the miracle. It was always about the power behind the miracle. The power behind the miracle today was the name of Jesus Christ. And so now we've got the apostles, and they are performing signs and miracles, and the message is the power behind the miracle. The message is Jesus Christ. All through the book of Acts, this is the message you're going to hear. It's Jesus Christ, holy son of God, walked on the earth, crucified, resurrected by God, and now living through his apostles, living through his followers. That's what Jesus, what uh, Peter is proclaiming today, that the message is Jesus, and you need to listen to it. Peter goes on to make Jesus known. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, let's stop and talk about this healing just a little bit. This healing was miraculous, and it was instantaneous, and it was complete. It's interesting. This man didn't stagger around and learn how to walk. He didn't stumble and try and figure out balance, even though he'd never walked a day in his life. It says Peter helped him up, and he was standing on legs that had never held him before. It was a miracle, and he wasn't just standing. He was leaping. He was leaping and jumping, and the people were amazed. Why wouldn't they be? It was a true miracle, a very, very true miracle. The people are dumbfounded and shocked and stunned, and it wasn't about the miracle. It was about the power behind the miracle. Well, it says that they uh, go on into the temple, and all through the the prayer time, this man is still leaping and praising. And when they leave together, he's hanging on to Peter and John, and he's leaping and praising. And the temple area had several gates. These were entrances and exits. It's a lot like our sanctuary right here. We've got three exits, and that's so when this thing is over, you're not all going to jam up into one exit. You can spread out, and everybody can get out. Well, they were so interested in this lame man and the commotion that he was causing that when the prayer time was over, they all crammed through one entrance, one exit, and they followed him out. And they landed on the porch area outside, and everybody stood there marveling at this miracle. They could not understand it. They couldn't understand the power that they had just seen displayed there t- today. What we can see in hindsight is we see the sovereign hand of God taking all those people, thousands of people, right out to the porch so that God's witness could proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we see there. And we know because Acts 1:8, 8 uh, Jesus told them, you are going to be my witnesses. And where are you going to start? You're going to start in Jerusalem. And so we see it lived out right here. Read with me beginning in verse 12. Um, And remember, this is on the porch area right outside the the prayer time. And when Peter saw all the people there, he addressed the people, "'Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? "'Why do you stare at us as as though by our own power or piety "'we have made this man walk? "'The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, "'the God of of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, "'whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate "'when he had decided to release him.'" That you denied the Holy and Righteous One and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter right away is answering the question, Where did this power come from? What kind of power can heal a lame man? He says, It certainly wasn't from men. The power comes from the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is astute at uh, knowing how to connect with his audience. We know that the Holy Spirit gives him that wisdom and direction. We saw it when he preached at Pentecost, and we see it here today. He begins teaching them and, and witnessing, and he begins by emphasizing their shared identity. He says, Men of Israel... We are all Jewish brothers. We're all here in our Jewish temple praying to the same God. He focuses on the fact that they believe in the same God. He references the covenant name that God gives himself back in Exodus. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He appeals to what they have in common. And he says, that God, the God we believe in, he glorified Jesus. He raised him from the dead. He called him his servant. And his son. So Peter attaches Jesus to the God that they all believe in. And then Peter attaches the power that they've just witnessed to God's Jesus. He's connecting all the dots for them there that day. And he describes Jesus so beautifully. He doesn't just proclaim his name. He lets them know who Jesus is. He says the Holy One. That means without sin. He says the Righteous One. That means pronounced acceptable, pronounced guiltless by God. He says the author of life, meaning he was there at the beginning. He's the source of life. He says the one you disowned and turned over to Pilate and called for his murder. That's pretty clear. But then he says that Jesus resurrected by God, glorified by God, showing that even though their unbelief was working against Jesus that day, God was working in all of it. It was God controlling the events that day. Peter goes on to use the important word witness. And we're going to talk a lot about the word witness today. He says we were witnesses. He says all these things about Jesus are true. And they're true because we, Peter and John, we witnessed it. We were there during his earthly ministry. John stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Who rushed and saw the empty tomb first? It was Peter and John. Who was in the room when Peter when Jesus appeared after his resurrection? We are the witnesses. This is who Jesus is, and we have witnessed it. And there is power in that. And he sums it up by saying it's faith. It's faith in all these things. It's belief in the person of Jesus. That's what brings power. That's what heals this man and restores him and connects him to God. So he quickly and easily explains the power that comes from the name of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, this, this was a, an instance when the person who was being healed, it wasn't that they had faith initially and they received a healing, a miracle because they had faith. Actually, we believe his faith was stirred and awakened in the process here. And I think for most of us, that's probably how we came to believe in Jesus. It probably was a process. And I've outlined it on your, on your notes there. First, the name of Jesus is revealed. Someone preaches, someone teaches, someone tells you. The name of Jesus is revealed, exactly as Peter says in the name of Jesus there. And that revelation of Jesus, the power of his name, causes you to consider all you know that is true about Jesus. And as you consider that... Faith is stirred, faith awakens in your soul and that's the work of the Holy Spirit and the instant you believe the power is there and it's a power to heal a lame man, it's a power to set you right with God, it's a power to forgive your sins. When Peter preached at Pentecost, and we studied this last week, he referred to this same power, and he quoted Joel from Joel 2.32. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saving power is found when we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. This miracle was beautiful, but it wasn't just for this man. It was a symbol that we believe in a God who can change anything. We believe in a God who can heal anything, and he can restore every heart. All that is required is to hear his name and believe, to believe. There were thousands there that day, thousands who witnessed the power of the miracle, and thousands who heard Jesus' name proclaimed. So how would they respond? You know, I love that when we talked about Peter's teaching last week at Pentecost, we said he presented evidence, and it required a verdict, and that's true. When the name of Jesus is proclaimed, it is so powerful, we must respond. We can't just leave it there. Let's read about their response. Peter goes on and teaches a little bit more, and then he asks them to respond, beginning in verse 17. Moses said, "'The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, "'You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, "'In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed.'" God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The church grew in an instant when people believed. We go from 3,000 that we studied last week at the end of the Pentecost sermon, and now we're at 5,000. Peter is talking to the very Jews who'd opposed Jesus, the very Jews who'd helped move him towards the cross. And his message is clear, pardon is possible. Pardon is possible for everyone he reminds them it was God who was in control that day even though they were acting out of unbelief it was God who allowed Jesus to be put on the cross and it was God who turned it all right again by resurrecting him and so he as he presents these truths about Jesus he requires them to respond to the powerful name of Jesus he urges one response over the other he urges them repent Repent and believe. And we need to stop just a moment and talk about this word repent um, because it's emphasized very strongly here in this section. Repent means change of mind or afterthought, to change your position. So for them to repent, it was an opportunity for them to stop opposing Jesus, stop opposing God's work here, and instead turn from that and turn to belief. I think whenever we talk about repentance, we have to stop and clarify repentance isn't what saves us. If we look at all of the scriptures, it's very clear belief is what saves us. Believing in the name and person of Jesus. Romans 10.9 is on your verse sheet. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved so belief is what is required. But in this instance, for these people, repentance had to occur with belief. It absolutely had to occur, and it could only occur when they were believing. These people would have to have a total change of mind, a total new mindset, because they were the people who'd been opposing Jesus all along. They had not been indifferent. They had not been unaware They had been opposing Jesus and moved him towards the cross. So for them to come to belief, repentance was absolutely required of them. One theologian described it this way, for these Jews who had worked so hard against the cause of Christ, saving faith would include repentance like two sides of a coin. They would have to come together. But belief and repentance would result in forgiveness. For them, exactly as it has for us. Their guilt, their sin was not putting Jesus on the cross. Their sin was unbelief. Their sin was the same as everyone else's sin before they turn to Jesus. So repentance was required here. Peter goes back to their history and to what they share in common. He refers to Moses. Moses was a, a highly respected and revered prophet. Um, All of them believed in Moses. They memorized his words. They knew he was a unique prophet. He was considered a mediator prophet. And we all know what a mediator means. That's that's the go-between. Moses' role was to go between God and men. And Moses had said, another prophet like me is coming. You need to listen to him. And they knew those words. So that's what he's talking about when he quotes Moses there. So look what Peter's doing. He's tying their belief in God, their belief in Moses, their knowledge of Moses' prophecy, their belief that there's another mediator who's going to come that you should listen to. He's tying all those things that are accepted among the Jews and attaching them to the name of Jesus Christ. He shows the importance of their response. He shows them the options that will be available to them. You can repent and believe and you'll find forgiveness and refreshing and you'll be restored to God or you cannot believe, and that will lead to destruction. They totally understand what it means to be a person opposed to God. They may have remembered these words from 1 Samuel 2.10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. They understand opposing God is not a position they want to take. As I read this, I just thought I could hear Peter's heart in it. You could hear this earnest entreaty. He wants God's chosen people to turn to God and choose repentance and belief. I think you can hear it, and I think he presses hard in this last section when he uses the words you. You are the sons of the prophets. You are the sons of the covenant. You are the heirs of the blessing. Salvation was sent to you first. Don't miss it. He's reminding them what they have lived for, their whole race. They have lived from this promise from Exodus 22 that God said to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. They were waiting for the blessing forever. It was the promise that was originally given to Abraham, and generations of Jews had longed for it and waited for it. And now in this pivotal moment, he's saying the promise is here the blessing is here. It's Jesus. Don't miss it. And it tells us, I love it, this combination. It says, many heard the word and believed. And heard there means they listened. They listened with an open heart. They weren't completely closed from the get-go. They heard the word. They heard the name of Jesus. And they believed and they responded with faith. Romans 10:17 says... So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. They had to hear it first. It was God's construction sounds. And when they heard it, they repented and they believed. So we know that the church grew from 3,000 men to 5,000 men in an instant, We know it was much bigger than that because there were women. There were probably children included in those numbers. It was a phenomenal response to the phenomenal power that was released in the name of Jesus Christ. So this is a high point for the church, but this is also a difficult point too because right here in chapter 4, the first opposition to God's church arrives as these religious leaders come forward and they immediately arrest them. And the interesting thing to me, um, you can't quite tell from this language, but they've arrested all three of them. They've arrested Peter and John and the beggar who's been healed, who's leaping around and praising God. He gets arrested too. And the language is kind of funny because it says they're arrested because they were annoying. (laughs) They were annoying. The religious leaders didn't like that they were teaching the people and they didn't like what they were saying about the resurrection. And that annoyed them. So they arrested them clearly no freedom of speech laws in the temple area in Jerusalem at that time an interesting little sidebar if you want to do some more homework this afternoon go read Matthew 22 this particular group of the religious leaders they had never believed in eternal life so they never believed in the resurrection before jesus they didn't think that was a possibility and after jesus they didn't think that was a possibility But Jesus confronted them on those beliefs, and you can read about that in Matthew 22 and and read how he thoroughly convinced them that the resurrection is true and eternal life is true. So now the opposition to the church begins, and at this point in the story, you would think opposition might shut down God's building project, but it doesn't. If you listen closely, construction sounds. They're still going on, and the sounds that we're going to hear, they're the voices of witnesses. We're going to hear more of the witness, and the witness is important. So as we talk about this, please don't think I'm just talking about Peter and John as the witness, because remember, Jesus' promise was at the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes to you, and he changes you, and he makes you a witness, and you will be my witness. So... God's construction project doesn't end in Acts. It's still going on, and it only works if we are the construction sound, if we are the voice of the witness. So as we listen to how Peter acts as a witness here, we can find a lot of things that are helpful for us, how we can act as a witness also. So pay attention to how Jesus clearly proclaims, excuse me, how Peter clearly proclaims the name of Jesus in this section, and pay attention to the things he does that equips him to act and to be a witness here. We're going to start reading in chapter 4, verse 5. On the next day, this means they've held them overnight. So on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All right, he begins with a list of important names. These are people associated with the high priest or the high priestly family. He's got the elders. That's the Sanhedrin. They were the lay leaders, but they were politically very powerful. He's got the scribes. Those were the rabbis schooled in the Torah. So the intellectual leaders are there. They're all gathered together, and they are the powerful ruling authority. When it says they set them in their midst, those are soft terms, but the the original terms suggest that it was pretty heavy-handed, that they were brought there, forcibly placed against their will for questioning. And most likely they were being questioned. They were being set there in the exact same location where Jesus was questioned before he was crucified. So it was an emotional place. It was a place not full of good memories for them. It was probably um, designed to produce a great deal of agitation and anxiety. And they were brought there for the crime of hmm, doing a good deed to a lame man. Hardly sounds like a crime, doesn't it? They're asked the same question that's already been asked and answered before. By what power did you do this? So obviously they don't have a criminal charge to make here. It's just a question and they're just annoyed. So Peter and John are in a hostile environment that is totally opposed to Jesus and his teaching and his resurrection. And they are called to be Jesus' witness. That's what they have to do in this defining moment. I want you to flip back over to Acts 1-8 quickly. We, we talked about this the last few times we've been together. This really is the defining verse for the whole book of Acts. It's Jesus promising that the Holy Spirit is coming. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you power and you are going to be my witnesses. Power to be my witnesses. That's really, really important here I think it's important to say it doesn't say you will have power to do witnessing, power to do evangelism, power to do ministry. It says it's a power to be. You will be. It's going to change your identity, and it's going to require a total transformation, a lifestyle change, a change in your thinking, a change in your goals. And your desires. So when we talk about the role of the witness, please don't think witnessing is something you go do. Witnessing is something you are. When I uh, grew up, it was a real common thing to teach people within the church. You needed to go stand on a busy street corner and you needed to stop a stranger and you needed to say right up in their face, hey, if you died tonight, do you know for sure if you'd go to heaven? And we called that Witnessing. And and I don't want to discredit that. Many people came to faith in Jesus through that. But we can't limit witnessing to that kind of experience. Because Jesus didn't say to go do witnessing. He said to be a witness. To be a witness means it's your whole life. It's how you live at home. It's how you interact with your neighbors. It's how you work with your coworkers. It's how you respond to joys. It's how you respond to sorrows. It's how you forgive when you're hurt. It's how you live and move. It's who you are. And that's what we're going to see Peter do right now. Peter is a new man, and he's going to demonstrate that. The witness can only do that when God's Holy Spirit is in him. And it says that Peter was filled with God's Spirit right now, and I think the same is true for us. To be an effective witness, we must be filled with God's Spirit. I used to struggle with this, thinking maybe sometimes I'm filled and sometimes I'm not, and how do I know? And we looked at all those verses last week that showed us once the Holy Spirit comes to us, he never leaves us. So I kept thinking, well, what do I need to do to get filled up, thinking it was some process that was going to dump from heaven on top of me. Um, And I just realized it's a participatory process. It's a cooperative process where we work with God and we work with the spirit that is in us. Um, It's a process where we just experience the regular daily reality of being obedient to God staying in line with him, walking with him, being submissive to him. That's the process that fills us with his spirit. That's all that's required, not a miracle from heaven that falls down on you. So let's consider that, that he's filled with the spirit, and being filled with the spirit is a daily, repeated, possible reality for us too. The second thing we see clearly in his teaching, um, as as a witness, we must proclaim Christ. We have to proclaim Christ, and he does that boldly, doesn't he? Um, have, I, have I read that passage? I'm so sorry. I've lost my place. Did we read what he says here? Did I read it? Okay, sorry. I'm confusing it. Did, okay, thanks. So he's proclaiming Christ here when he's saying to all Jerusalem, let it be known to you by the name of Jesus Christ, This man was healed. He is proclaiming the name of Jesus. He has a great opportunity to defend himself, doesn't he? But he doesn't do it. He has a great opportunity to say, you had no right to hold us all overnight. He doesn't do it. He simply proclaims Christ. He says Christ is the cornerstone of God's church, and God's church is being built up right now, and Jesus is the only way. Salvation comes from no other name. All power and all authority is now with Jesus and anyone who claims the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No ministry, no church, no group, no anything. If they don't proclaim Jesus Christ, they're not a part of this. And I think that's important. Proclaiming the name is important. A few years ago, I was traveling to Brazil with Christ Chapel. A a big group went on a mission trip. We were going into some rough areas, uh, slums of Brazil, to work with children in a ministry there that we were supporting. And as I got on the plane, it was about a 9 or 10-hour plane ride. I had the privilege of sitting next to a gal who was Brazilian, and she attended UCLA. She was a college student here. Her English was flawless, and she was just flying home for a vacation. So she asked me why we're going, and I think, E, 10-hour plane ride. Do I want to say I'm a Christian on a mission trip? <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> I just told her a little bit about this organization that works with children in the slums. And she said, I don't think you understand. Brazilians don't go into those slums. Brazilians look down on those people. Brazilians would never do what you're doing. Why would Americans do that? And as the conversation progressed, she kept asking that question, why would Americans go into the slums of Brazil? Why would Americans do that? And I thought, oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We're going to proclaim Jesus. And I took a deep breath, and I said, we're not going into the slums of Brazil because we're Americans. We're going because we follow Jesus Christ. And he's told us to love with his love and offer hope in places that are hopeless. I would love to tell you that she leaned in and said, tell me more about Jesus. (laughs) You know those little satin covers you can pull down over your eyes on an airplane? I'm not kidding. She pulled them down and she pretended to sleep for the next nine hours. (laughs) The witness is not responsible for the outcome. Peter wasn't responsible for the thousands that believed on this day. He was not responsible for the thousands who didn't believe. Jesus said from the beginning, I am building my church. Jesus is doing it. It is his work. He just asks us to be the mouthpiece. He asks us to be the voice of the witness. And at some point, the voice of the witness is going to have to proclaim Christ. You know, there's a lot of good deeds being done in the world today, a lot of justice causes being fought, and that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But if the people doing those things don't also proclaim the name of Christ, people will die separated from God. So if you want to be a witness, at some point you have to speak the name of Jesus. Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We have to proclaim. Well, the religious leaders are confused and befuddled at this point. What shall we do with these men? Obviously, the lame man is standing healed before them. They cannot argue against that. So the religious leaders respond. What will we do with these men? In verse 17, read with me. But in order that it may spread no further among the people... For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. It's interesting that they wonder what they're going to do about it. It. Like it was this disease or this terrible plague that was coming through their area. The reality was it was the power to heal and restore people. That's what they were trying to stop. The opposition recognized the importance of the spoken name of Jesus So they thought the only way they could stop this was to stop the name. You may not teach, you may not preach. Peter and John are ordered to be silenced. And a line is now drawn between the church that God is building and the religious institution of the Jewish faith. Um, Peter and John have to determine for themselves will they obey God or will they obey these leaders? They choose obedience to God. They choose obedience. And we all have the moments when we have to choose obedience to God too. God is very clear in the scriptures that he puts authority in place and he wants us to be subject to the authorities that he puts in place and he wants us to live at peace in our community. But when those authorities require us to be disobedient to God... The witnesses got to be obedient to God. We have several examples in the Old Testament where authorities wanted God's people to be disobedient and they refused, and God honored that. Um, you remember the, the midwives in Exodus? They were ordered to kill all the Hebrew babies, they wouldn't do it. You remember Daniel was ordered you can't pray to anybody, you can't pray to a God, you have to pray to the king. Let him be your God. Daniel wouldn't do it. In those instances, they had to choose obedience to God, and God honored it. And it's the same for us. Obedience in all of our life, in all of our interactions, in all of our choices, that's what equips us to be a witness for God. Now look at what they do next. Verse 23 says, and talking about Peter and John, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they all lifted their voices together to God. They lift their voice together to God. And look down at verse 29, and we're going to see what they ask God for. Here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. They began that prayer by remembering who God was, the sovereign God, who was powerful and who was mighty, and then they asked for his help, um, I think what we really see here is we see their dependence on God. They aren't depending or relying on their own strength or power. They are showing total dependence on God, and we need to do the same thing. As soon as they were released, they did two things that communicated that dependence. They immediately sought out the community, the fellowship of the church, of the other believers, of the folks who were like-minded. And they prayed together to God. Remember last week when we talked about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming, you know, we learned that that was God's gift to us and that that's what he used to knit us all together, to unite us together, and to make us a family. And God says that when you're all knit together like individual strands of a cord wound together, you're stronger you're stronger. So when we go to the family of God, to the church, we can find encouragement. We can find wisdom. We can find strength. We can find truth there. And that's showing dependence on God and his family. And I think that's really important that that's the first thing they did. It's a wonderful example for us together. I thought of Hebrews 10:24, And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see them just intuitively knowing that they could draw strength from the family of God, and they go there to show their dependence. And then as they're all there together, they pray. They pray, and it's the most beautiful, dependent posture before God when we pray Whether we get down on our hands or knees or whether we do this with our hands, you know, this was the way um, a servant approached a sovereign, okay? That is a dependent posture. So they prayed to God, and it's in prayer that we acknowledge God is in control of everything. And it's in prayer that we acknowledge God has all the power. We don't. It's in prayer that we acknowledge God, we want what you want. And that's exactly what we see them doing here. They asked for boldness to continue speaking. That was totally in line with the will of God because Jesus had told them he wanted them to do that. They asked for God's very hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the powerful name of Jesus. That would point to the power behind the sign. They asked for all of that. And it tells us that the prayer was answered. The prayer was answered and the place was shaken. And we don't know if this was an actual earthquake or some other manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. But something physical happened there, and it was a sign. And it was a sign that was, again, pointing to the power of God and reminding them, You have a helper. He's the Holy Spirit, and he's here with you now. I can remember riding in the car one day, and one of my boys was really little, and he said, I learned a new word today. Bold, it means to have courage for God. (laughs) And I just loved that description, and I've remembered it for years. And when I saw, they prayed that they would be bold. They prayed that they would have courage for God. And they could because they had a helper. They had God's Holy Spirit enabling them to be courageous. They had the very Spirit of God filling them so that they could continue God's construction projects, so they could continue the work of building God's church. It made all the difference in their world, and it makes all the difference in our world today. Jesus began building his church in Acts, and he did it through the obedient witness of his followers in the powerful name of Jesus. And it is still happening the exact same way today. When I think about the responsibility to be a witness, I get a little overwhelmed. It feels like a great privilege, but it feels kind of scary to me too. It sounds like an awesome task. But then I am reminded that we have a helper. We have the powerful name of Jesus. Jesus does the work. We just get to be the voice. So it's an awesome privilege. So I think we've got much to learn from these followers and acts today. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious and sovereign and mighty, and we just stop and we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus, who could be our mediator and who could heal us and who could bring about our forgiveness and our restored relationship with you. For those of us who have found that relationship, Lord, we stop and we thank you. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that changes us and transforms us and allows us to be your voice. It's a privilege, and we thank you. Lord, for those who don't live in that relationship yet, we pray that they would hear the name of Jesus Christ, that they would think of all that he is and all that he's done, and that their hearts and their minds would be quiet before you, and they would listen, and they would hear, and they would believe. We ask that your spirit will work in their hearts and their minds, and that they would choose belief and turn to you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of working with you to build your church. Thank you for the privilege of a voice that can speak the name of Jesus Christ. Give us boldness and give us courage, Lord. We need it and we ask for it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.